Hey church, welcome to episode four of our Lenten series entitled The Prayer. As we walk through the most famous prayer of all time, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus delivers to us. And he tells us here in verse 12, which is where we are this evening, that we are to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, one of the things that is common for every human being is, in fact, our human nature is that we take things for granted. And there are times and experiences and people that remind us that we take certain things for granted. One of the things I think almost every one of us takes for granted, windshield wipers. When is the last time that you've been grateful for windshield wipers? It's a very understated and underappreciated feature on your car. Nobody goes to the dealership looking for a new car or get to get a lease and they say, hey, listen, tell me about the windshield wipers. How do they work? What's the level? What's the quality on them? The only thing you're looking for is to make sure that for some reason they don't make that one really long windshield wiper that they used to make on some of those cars where it would just wash the whole, I mean, that was incredibly distracting and also not extremely effective in my opinion. But you never think about the windshield wiper. In fact, it's even kind of hidden below the hood at the very bottom of the windshield. The only time you notice it is when you're in a storm, it's when it's raining, and Sometimes you just flip it on and you use it without even recognizing the effect that it has, the importance of that piece of technology and equipment in your car. Now, if you've ever been in a storm before and flipped on the windshield wiper and they were broken or the blade was dulled to where it was just kind of smushing or smearing the water all over the windshield, well, then you recognize that you have taken windshield wipers for granted, that you recognize their importance because you cannot drive in a storm without windshield wipers. You can't see. Everything's blurry. It's really dangerous. You have to pull over and stop for the storm to pass or for somebody to come pick you up or bring you some replacement wipers. And this is the same way that confession is for us. As Jesus says here that we are to pray, for, to forgive us our debts or our sins as we also forgive our debtors. Confession is a very understated and underappreciated aspect of our faith. It is something that we oftentimes don't recognize the necessity and the vitality of it. Because the, the reality is that for us as believers in Christ... If you claim Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you know that you are forgiven of sin. That Jesus paid the penalty of your sin on the cross. You are forgiven. It has been done. And so for many of us, we struggle to confess sin because we know that it's already been forgiven. And so confession is an underappreciated aspect of our faith that we take for granted and oftentimes don't even recognize or use in our daily life and prayer. Now, I know you've thought before, because I think almost every Christian has thought this thought or this question, 
why do I need to pray for something that has already been completed? Why do I need to pray for sin to be forgiven if it has already been forgiven? I mean, it makes sense to us to pray for something that we don't possess. So we pray for provision, or we pray for God to fulfill the desires of our heart. But to pray for something that is actually ours already is difficult for us. It feels like, what's the point? Why do I need to confess my sin to God if my sin has already been forgiven by God? It's not going to change anything. Why is it important? Why should I not take it for granted? Well, the answer is that confession of sin helps to clear your vision. It helps you to see where you're going. You see, your relationship with God through faith in Christ is eternally secure. But just because your relationship with God is eternally secure, it does not mean that you're experiencing the full benefits of that relationship now. See, you can be in relationship with someone and not be experiencing the full benefits of that relationship because something is blocking it. Something is obstructing it and causing a blurred vision or an inability to move forward with that person. An unconfessed sin blurs your vision and it creates a blockage in your relationship with God. So you can have honey in your house and have not tasted the sweetness of honey for months. And the same is true of your relationship with God. Your relationship with God through faith in Christ is eternally secure and you are forgiven of sin, past, present, and future. But unconfessed sin blurs your vision. It disables you from moving forward with clarity. It keeps you from drawing near to God and puts a blockage there to where you can't taste the sweetness of your relationship with God. You see, confession enables you to taste the sweetness of your relationship with God. It is important for us to confess sin. That's why Jesus tells us here that we are to pray this daily prayer of confession. God, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Here's what confession is. Confession is a gift that requires naked truth, public practice, but it brings soul rest. Confession is a gift that requires naked truth, public practice, and it brings soul rest. First, Naked truth. Confession requires naked truth. The ability for you to bear the truth of yourself. To expose the reality of who you really are before God in prayer as you confess your sin. You see, confession is something that we're not necessarily against or struggle with the idea of because there is a cultural acceptance on the practice of confession. We celebrate and herald when people confess mistakes and failures in the public sphere. There is an encouragement to go and to seek counseling or a therapist 
to confess your struggles and your difficulties and your anxiety and your trauma. In fact, on YouTube, there is an entire genre of confession videos where people who made public mistakes or something was exposed about their life and the way they were living or what they did, they make a video and they confess to their audience that they're sorry. They ask for forgiveness. And there's actually people that judge the quality of those forgiveness or confession videos. But see, though confession is an accepted practice in our culture, what is actually accepted is surface-level confession. It is oftentimes consequence-driven, and it remains on the surface. It's because you got exposed, you suffered a consequence, and so therefore you must confess and seek forgiveness, forgiveness, and so you stay on the surface. There's a great quote by George or, or Jeff Holesclaw. He's a professor of theology at Northern Seminary. He says this, We bear our hearts without understanding them. We offer our souls without having grasped them. We confess ourselves without really knowing them. He's saying that our, our confession is oftentimes on the surface. Whether it's how you confess in society or the kind of confession that you see culturally or maybe your confession to God. It's on the surface you don't really know yourself, so you can't really bear the naked truth of who you are to God because you haven't gone deep. See, confession requires you to go below the surface. It requires introspection to really look at not just the surface level mistakes and failures you have that are obvious, but what's really down. The motivations, the thoughts, the doubts, those things that you hide away, those things that you justify because you compare yourself to somebody else and so it makes you feel a little bit better to really go down deep and look at your heart to see yourself for who you really are. Confession requires naked truth, exposing the reality of who you are and looking deep. And many of us, have purposefully decided, whether consciously or subconsciously, to not dive deep, to not be introspective, because we know it will hurt. You see, going back to the car analogy, if you're driving a car and you get in a fender bender, it is very obvious that something will need to be fixed. Every time you get out of your car and you look at your front bumper, because you hit somebody, you're going to see the dents, you're going to see the scratches in the paint, and you're going to be reminded that you need to go to the body shop and get a new bumper and new paint. It's obvious to you, and it's obvious to everybody else. And these are oftentimes the type of sins that we confess to God or we confess to other people. The ones that we very clearly see, the really bad things that we've done, that we see and that other people see. And the more we ignore them, the more we realize that we, we, we have to confess them because we see them every single time we go to the car. But have you ever been driving the car? Everything on the outside looks completely fine, but then the check engine light goes on and you think to yourself, hey, what, what is that? What's going on in there? Everything feels fine. 
gas is working, brakes are working, everything. Maybe it's one. Of the, maybe the car has been programmed to tell me to go pay all that money at the dealership to get it serviced once a year. I'm just going to ignore the check engine light. Maybe it's just an oil change, but I look at my little windshield and I see that I actually have a thousand miles to go. I don't know what it is. Everything seems fine. I'm just going to ignore the check engine light. Now. Many of us just ignore the check engine light when it comes on our car, and we will wait months, maybe years, to really address why that light has come on. But here's the truth. It's come on for a reason. There's something happening under the hood, and it will wreak havoc on your car if not addressed. But some of us know that that could actually really hurt our bank account because there could be an issue with the engine. There could be something that's going to cost a lot more. So we don't even want to go there. We just ignore it, pretend like it doesn't exist, and we keep driving until something really bad happens. Many of us live our lives of confession and seeking forgiveness in the very same way. There's a check engine light that's come on in our life. We ignore it. We hide it. We justify it. We downplay it. We only address the things that are obvious and visible to ourselves and to other people. We don't actually go deep. And over time, those continual repeated sins, those justified sins, those things that we hide away, that we kind of minimize in our mind, they will wreak havoc. They will blur our vision. They will harden our heart. They will distance us from that relationship with God that's been eternally secure, but we may not be enjoying the benefits of, we may not be tasting the sweetness of because we have these sins deep down that we are not looking at and we're unable to confess to God or to anybody else. Confession requires that you go deep. And here's the truth. Deep confession hurts, but it heals. It hurts, but it heals. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this. The Apostle Paul says something so striking about himself. He says, I am the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. Now you read that, and if you know his story, it's very perplexing. You think to yourself, okay, I know he was a bad guy. Like before he came to faith in Christ, he imprisoned and murdered people. Okay, he's, he's not good. But when he came to faith in Christ, he had a radical transformation in his life. He was selfless. He was sacrificial. He was generous. He devoted his life to the gospel of Jesus Christ and planting churches all over the Roman Empire. I mean, he's certainly not the chief among sinners. There are a lot of people in his day and age where, I mean, let's be honest, he is a way better person. He's more morally sound than they are. And I would venture to say that almost every single one of us would say, um, I'm a way bigger sinner than the Apostle Paul. I don't even need to know what he struggled with. I know I'm worse. I know for, without a shadow of a doubt, that I'm worse than him. So why would the Apostle Paul say that he's chief of sinners? Because he knew himself. Because he didn't remain on the surface. Because he dove deep he was introspective. He looked into his heart and his motivations and his thoughts. It's why he talks about the thorn in his flesh that's plaguing him. It's why he says things like, the very thing I shouldn't do is what I do. And th that thing that I should do, I don't do. He knows himself and he knows that he is the chief of sinners. You see, the worst person you can know is you. 
The worst person you can know is you because you can know yourself more deeply and more profoundly than anyone else. You can search the caverns of your soul and you see all the crud and all the mess and all the messed up motivations and all the pride and all the selfishness and all the greed and all the lust. You see all of it. And you probably do a good job, like all of us, hiding a lot of it from other people. But when you go deep, when you have the naked truth revealed, you maybe are like Paul to say, I'm the chief of sinners. It hurts to go deep, but it heals. It will heal you. See, it's a personal enterprise that you have to embark on in confession, to go deep, to look into the caverns of your soul and to confess not just what's on the surface, but what is really in your heart. And it's painful, but it will heal you. Because confession requires naked truth, that personal pursuit of really seeing yourself for who you are. But it also requires public practice. Not just the personal enterprise of looking into your heart and seeing yourself for who you really are so that your confession is actually genuine, that you're actually fully revealed before God in confession, that you don't hide anything and justify anything, but it requires that you also practice confession publicly. You see, confession always moves from the personal to the public arena. That's why Jesus says this in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts. The personal practice of going deep and confessing your sin to God. And then he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you see what Jesus is presuming? He's presuming that you are part of a community and an environment where confession and forgiveness is normal. He says, as we have forgiven our debtors. We're to confess to God as we have already forgiven our debtors. The brother of Jesus, James, says, kind of, kind of builds upon this in, in chapter 5, verse 16 of his book. He says this, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So Jesus says that we have forgiven our debtors, that we are to be in an environment of confession and repentance and confession and forgiveness. And then James, the brother of Jesus, says that you're to confess your sin to one another. That's what it's meant to look like, so that you may be healed. For many of us, this is where we hit the brakes. We hit the brakes here because we struggle to believe that actually confessing our sin publicly before people and to one another can in fact heal. And many of us struggle with this because we've never really been a part of a church community where there is the practice of confession. Where people are encouraged to confess their sin to one another both those things on the surface 
that everybody sees, those very deliberate sins and deliberate pains, but also those ones that are hidden, the bitterness, the anger, the frustration, those little irks and pains that should not be avoided but need to be addressed. Very few of us have ever been in an environment where there was the expectation and the practice of confession and forgiveness. Why do you think all the time in the church we see church leader after church leader, church member after church member who has a breakdown, a moral breakdown, a spiritual breakdown, an emotional breakdown, and then we ask the question, how did that happen? How could that have happened? Well, guess what? Most of the time, they had a check engine light on in their life that they ignored and everybody else ignored. And there was no practice of confession. There was no, there was no seeking of forgiveness. There was nobody revealing the realities of who they are to God and to other people. And ultimately, it wreaks havoc. You see, we have to practice confession publicly. It is difficult to do, but it is vital. Can you imagine being a part of a community like that? Where there has been established radical confession and forgiveness. How safe would you feel to be yourself? Knowing that there's a culture of forgiveness when you fail. And there's a culture of freeing you to actually confess and also forgive others when they harm you. That is a safe community. That is a community that brings healing, radical confession, and forgiveness. Could you imagine that? You see, this type of environment, this type of culture, would not only heal the public heart of the community, but it will heal your heart. That's what James says. He says, when you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you will be healed. Your heart will be healed. Your soul will be healed. Your mind will be healed. But it requires public practice of confession and forgiveness. You see, we do have, as I said earlier, this general acceptance of confession in our culture, which really kind of just remains on the surface. But the other aspect of the confession culturally that we accept, and oftentimes the one that we practice even within the church, is one where we want to kind of dress ourselves up as we want to be seen. And so we will confess publicly out of an attempt to protect ourselves and our self-image. Really, oftentimes, our confession is an attempt to rewrite the perception other people have of us. It's about saving face. We've done something. We've been exposed. And so now we need to save face. We need to change perception. And so we, we confess and seek forgiveness so that things can kind of be smoothed out and comfortable again. We confess by our oneself for others. So our confession is by oneself for others. But that's not true confession. True confession is 
before others for oneself. It's not for the sake of other people. It's actually for the sake of your own healing. As you confess before other people. James says this very clearly. When you confess your sin to others and you pray with them, you will be healed. Your heart will be healed to receive that forgiveness from them, to be honest, to, to, to be naked and exposed and really true and not, stop hiding and justifying. Stop just confessing because you're trying to save face and make your self-image look good. No, just be real, just be honest, and when you confess before others, it's going to heal you. It's before others, but it heals your heart. And here's the truth. Any unconfessed sin, as I said earlier, will blur your vision. But also, to not engage in the public practice of confession will also blur your vision. It will also blur your vision. And you will have wounds that are unhealed. It is not only important for you to confess to God, it is also important for you to confess to others. And not just when they've publicly wronged you and you need to forgive them, or when you have publicly wronged them and you're seeking forgiveness to kind of smooth things out, but also when there's irks and pains and small issues and frustrations and anger, you must confess it. And if you don't, you will have blurred vision and unhealed wounds. You see, confession is a gift that requires naked truth and public confession. But it brings to you soul rest. Healing and rest. One of the really big documentaries of 2020 was The Social Dilemma. I'm sure you've heard about it or you've seen it. It is a documentary about the effects of social media. And it is full of a, a host of people who have a lot of experience with social media, whether they are psychologists, software engineers, tech innovators. Some of the very pioneers of the companies and platforms that you love and enjoy are in this documentary. And they're, they're warning of the, the dangers of social media. They speak about how it's actually designed like a, sh a slot machine to cause you to be addicted. And that despite your best efforts, the algorithm is always going to win. It, it, and the, the documentary really feels like a confession. It feels like all of these people realize they have made Frankenstein and there's no going back. And they're trying to wipe away the guilt that they have. And as I'm watching this documentary, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what, what's the intention of this? Why did they make the social dilemma? Because a lot of them are exposing the reality of their participation in something that deemed not only problematic, but in many ways evil. And the film is, is essentially pushing the idea that we need to think more critically about social media and there needs to be reform. But I don't think reform is the real reason this documentary was made. 
I think it's recovery. It's rest for weary souls who needed to confess and attempt to find rest and to recover. You see, reform, which is what the film pushes, it always results from confession that brings rest. The great reforms of the history of the world are rooted in confessions that brought about rest for the very people who led those reformations. Confession brings rest, and it's required before any reform takes place, whether personal reform or large-scale reform. Psalm 32 speaks about confession and how it provides rest for a weary soul. This is from King David. He says this in Psalm 32, verse 3 through 5. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Saying, I, I, I was silent. I was not truthful. I wasn't honest. I wasn't confessing. I wasn't, there was a blockage, God, in my relationship with you. I wasn't seeing clearly, wasn't tasting the sweetness of what's provided. I felt like my bones were wasting away. Then he says in verse 5, I acknowledged then my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I love that. I not only acknowledged my sin to you, God, I didn't cover up any of it. There was naked truth in my confession to you, God. It was all there. I, I went deep. There was introspection. I, I shared everything, all the motivations, all the thoughts, all the things that I did. I didn't cover up any of it. And what was the result? It says this in verse 7. You are, my hiding are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I love this passage. God, at one time, I was kind of covering things up. I was hiding from you. I wasn't saying anything. I was just staying on the surface. But I had blurred vision. It felt like my bones were wasting away. I felt like your hand was heavy upon me. It was uncomfortable. But then I confessed. The truth was exposed. There was naked truth my confession. I covered up nothing, God. He writes this too as a public practice of confession as we are reading it now. He didn't keep this just to himself. And what was the result? God, you're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me. There is rest. See, Jesus here says that we're to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now the word debts is one of the three main translations. Sometimes people who translate trespasses or sins, which can be helpful in their own right. But most scholars agree that the Greek word ophelima is best translated as debts. 
So Jesus is saying here that sin is a debt. He's equating the confession of your sin to God and to others and the practice of forgiving other people who confess sin is debt. Now why does Jesus make that connection? Well, debt is an uncomfortable thing. In fact, it's not only uncomfortable, it can be a crushing thing. When you owe debt to a large financial institution or any institution, it's really crushing. It's scary. But when you owe debt to a person, there's another layer added to it. Now, it's not only uncomfortable to be around them, it not only can feel crushing, there's also shame and guilt. Because you owe that person something. And for all of us, when we sin against another person, it feels to us like we owe a debt to them. Maybe it's a debt to provide an apology. Or it is a debt to provide restitution. Or good quality time. Or take them out to a meal. We feel the need to do something to restore the relationship. We owe a debt to them, and we need to restore the relationship because we have wronged them. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying your sin, your sin is a debt to God. You owe him something, and you may even feel that you owe him something. You owe him something to make the relationship right because you have wronged him. Sin is a debt. So how can confession of sin bring rest? Because it reminds you of something. It reminds you that you owe a debt to God, but it has already been paid. That your debt has been paid. The payment has gone through and has been completed. You say, listen, your sin is not a light thing. It is not a trivial thing. Your sin cost Jesus his life. You owe a debt to God, and it costs Jesus his life. And no matter how hard you try, you cannot make the relationship between you and God right on your own. No, you will never have the ability to acquire enough moral capital to restore the relationship between you and God because of your sin. You can never be good enough. You can never try hard enough. You can never pray enough. You can never go to church enough, read your Bible enough, there's nothing you can do to pay the debt that you owe. And that's the very reason why Jesus came for you. Because you owe a debt that you can't pay. And so God's going to pay it for you. You see, Jesus left the rest of heaven to come here to earth and experience unrest on the cross so that you might experience rest through him. That your debt might be paid in full. And every time you confess to God, you are reminded that you are standing in a forgiven payment of debt, that you no longer owe it. It's no longer yours. It brings rest. 
That's why St. Augustine says this. I love this statement by him. He says, Christ put on our coat of flesh so that we might be clothed by the word of God. Christ put on the coat of flesh so that we might receive a word from God. What is that word that you receive? It's the very last words of Jesus. It is finished. Your debt is paid. It's done. It's completed. You're forgiven. You're loved. You've received grace. It's finished. And every time you come to God in confession and you reveal who you are and you don't cover any of your iniquity, there's naked truth before God in confession and you begin to actually practice public confession, you are reminded each and every time that your debt has been paid, that you have been forgiven, that Jesus encountered unrest so that you might receive rest. Every single time you hear it is finished. Listen, God doesn't deal in plurals. And I want you to hear this very clearly. Forgiveness is not for everyone, but it's for everyone. Forgiveness is not for everyone, but it is for everyone who says, I have fallen short and I have sinned and I owe a debt to God that I cannot pay. It is for everyone who says, God, flood my heart all the caverns of my soul with your grace. It is for everyone who says, Jesus, you are my Savior and you are my Lord and the only way I can be restored to relationship with God is through you. It is for everyone who surrenders in faith to God knowing their debt has been paid. Forgiveness is for everyone who comes to God to receive grace through him That brings you rest. And so church, should you pray daily confessing your sin to God? Yes, you should. (laughs) How could you not? You have been forgiven. And you experience rest and clear vision and the reestablishment of the sweetness of your relationship with God when you come before him honestly with naked truth And you're not even afraid to practice confession publicly. Why would you not? Because here's the truth. Your sin has been forgiven, but your sin is lived. You live in sin, though it has been forgiven. And what is sin? It's death. That's the very reason Jesus had to die for you and me, because sin equals death. And so since sin is lived, if you are walking around with unconfessed sin, whether it is between you and God that you have not confessed, or between you and another person, you are literally carrying around death. Confession of your sin brings life. You see, this is a part of every aspect of your Christian life. The very beginning, the very middle, and the very end. The very beginning of your Christian life, you come and you confess to God that you need his grace, that you cannot pay back your debt, that you believe in Christ. You confess that. And you also not only confess that just honestly and truly, but you also do it publicly. Because upon conversion, you get baptized. And that brings rest. 
the very middle of your faith. What we're talking about now is coming to God in confession every day that you are broken, that you are sinful, and you do it not only between you and God, but you also do it publicly as you confess to one another. And what does that bring? Rest. And then at the very end, when you come before Christ and you stand before him, you will confess again your need for a Savior publicly before him. And it will bring you eternal rest. This is our life. A life of deep confession that we see as a gift that requires naked truth, public practice, but it will bring you rest and it will heal. And so I pray, church, that you don't treat it as something that is only to be used in certain seasons when the storm is heavy on your life. That you don't take confession for for granted, but you engage in it, even tonight, as we will pray now. I pray that you think about all those things that you want to confess to God and you lay it before him in prayer, knowing that through faith in Christ, your debt has been paid. You have been forgiven. That you would experience a healing of your soul and a clearing of your vision as you pray now. And maybe you're listening and you've never experienced that relationship, that forgiveness. You've felt like you've been carrying this death and this debt on your life. Well, Jesus invites you now to hand it over to him, to surrender to him, to be everyone who confesses the name of Jesus Christ will be saved and you will be forgiven. Do that now before you and God, and then publicly let us know in the chat. Practice that now so we can journey with you. Or you can always reach out to us via social media or on our website. I want to pray for you now and invite you to come before God who is here with us. Let's pray. God, I confess to you that I don't always see confession as a gift. Take it for granted. I believe it's not necessary because I'm already forgiven. Help me and every one of us now to practice confession daily, to go deep into our heart, to be honest about who we are before you, to really know ourselves. Naked truth. And give us the courage to practice confession publicly, even this week, with people we know we must speak with. And Lord, I pray that you would show us and reveal to us the truth that this brings rest and healing to our soul, to our mind, to our heart. And I pray for anyone now that for the first time is surrendering to you, Jesus, that they would just pray this simple prayer. God, I owe you a debt because of my sin. I can't earn your love. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me, for my sin, my death, so that I might live in you. I surrender to you. And confess to you that you are Savior and Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Church, I want to just encourage you to do something as we close our service, and that is to, to go to your app store, whether it's Android or iPhone, and to download, if you have not already, the Crossbridge app. Download the Crossbridge app and go to the notes section. There is notes that are posted there for this sermon, but at the very bottom of the notes, I've provided an exercise that I'd like you to go through this week. An exercise to carve out time, to confess, and also to celebrate and to claim that your debt has been paid. So go to the website, download the app, click on the notes tab, check out that exercise of confession this week. And I pray that it brings you that rest and that healing for your soul.